All right, friends, we are in Luke chapter 12. And we left off in verse 8, or at verse 8, so that's where we'll uh, pick up today. Now let me just give you a little context, particularly for those that weren't with us. Uh, the context is that a, a large crowd has gathered. Jesus, uh, or excuse me, it says, so many that people began to like kind of trample on one another have gathered. Uh, Jesus had just encountered at the very last couple verses of chapter 11 sort of the religious leaders, and they were throwing all sorts of questions and comments at Jesus. They were trying to trip him up, get him in trouble, these sorts of things. And now a whole big crowd has gathered, multitude, it seems they're there to listen. And Jesus now set, talks about hypocrisy uh, and calls people out on it. You know, there are people that want to be up in front of people just so everyone can see how wonderful they are, but behind closed doors they're somebody completely different. Uh, and Jesus made the point, and we made the point in our conversation, that hypocrisy, oftentimes the root of it is, is simply fear. What are other people going to think about me if? Uh, and that is dictating their behavior. And then we saw in verses 4 and following, uh, in which Jesus said, I'll tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body, and after that have nothing to do, uh, more they can do. But I'll warn you, the one whom you should fear, he who has the authority to cast into hell. And, and the idea there is Jesus is... Uh, causing them to look past the temporal to the eternal, to the one who has the power to cast into hell. And, and really, you know, hypocrisy can be done away with, and fear of man can be done away with by perspective, actually. You know, a lot of times we talk about high schoolers, and, you know, they're all nervous about what their friends are going to think. We get a little bit older, we don't really care what some guy I'm never going to see again is going to think about me, as many of our relationships in high schools are. Uh, and that's because we have the perspective. So, anyway, that's sort of the background. Now, again, we're talking about this idea of what are people going to think about me, and I think that leads right into verse 8. And so I'm going to read verses 8 to 12. And it says, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, excuse me, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Well, uh, this is a passage which uh, gives a lot of people concern. Oh no. What if I have blasphemed against the Holy Spirit? I was driving, a lady cut in front of me, and I cursed. You know, and did I blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? It didn't happen to me, by the way. And I don't know why we always blame the ladies for driving in front of us. But anyhow, yeah. Um, but anyhow, uh, what exactly is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that concerns some people, or maybe should concern more people? Because we see, whatever it is, it won't be forgiven. You know, you hear all the time, Jesus will forgive anything. You know, you just come to him. If you're a drug dealer, you come to him. He'll forgive you. But not this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So let's move through the verses. We'll come to that statement, and we'll see if we can come up with a solution as to what it means. So I want to look first off at verse 8, where it says, you know, he who acknowledges me uh, before men. Now, again, we're talking about, in the context here is whom we should fear. Should we fear that person that, you know, is making fun of us? Should we fear that person that has a sword and perhaps can take our lives? Or should we fear the one who has the ability after our life has been taken 
to cast us into hell. And Jesus made it very clear in those verses leading up, that's the one that we should fear. So here he says, if you acknowledge me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge you before the angels of God. So this is a promise. Now, specifically to these folks that are sitting there or gathered there, the disciples that are gathered there with Jesus, these guys are going to be dragged before authorities at some point in their lives. Uh, all of those opening disciples, with the exception of Judas, but all of those uh, apostles there were dragged before the authorities. They all went on, with the exception of John uh, the Apostle, to be martyrs for the faith. And, and essentially John was a martyr for the faith. He just had to live it out. Uh, every day dying to himself on places like the island of Patmos uh, and others. And so this is a promise to those guys that if they take a stand and confess the name of Christ, particularly in, as it relates to persecution, that Jesus isn't going to abandon them and that he will, as he says, acknowledge them before the angels of God. But notice also the converse is true. And it says, but the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Now, you could read that and you say, all right, so here's Peter. You know, aren't you with this guy, this Galilean? Don't you know him? You know, this sort of stuff. And, Jesus, and Peter said, look, I, I tell you, this pastor says, with curses or cursing, that I don't know this guy. Uh, and then the rooster crows and, and you know the story. Um, so that's denying him, isn't it? So is that what Jesus is talking about? Well, I think this is a good lesson for us in our study of the scriptures because you can take a verse that is out of context and create a doctrine on it and get yourself into a lot of trouble. Um, you know, so we would just take that one verse and we'd be certain, well, of course not, Peter can't be in heaven because he denied Jesus, so he must be denied you know, before the Heavenly Father and so on. But as we take all of the context of Scripture, we see that <coughs> Peter was a repentant man. He came back to the Lord, the Lord welcomed him in. Not only did he welcome him, but he recommissioned him to go back out again. So uh, I'll pose the question. Here you have this statement, but who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. What do you think, uh, what do you think that, that then means? Yes, sir. Well, I was going to, I was going to sort of act, ask another example. So, so say you did, cause we talked about it last week a little bit. Somebody's got a sword to your throat. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's, let's let's say there's a woman who's a Christian and her kid's sitting there, and somebody comes up and says, "Deny Christ or I'll kill your kid." I can't imagine if she's truly a Christian that um, she's going to let somebody kill her kid. So she's going to verbally, outwardly, probably deny the faith, and then you know. So I think this is actually dealing with more of your inward. Confession. I mean, there's an outward aspect to it. Obviously, it's 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 not a good thing to die a martyr, but it's a good thing to die a martyr. But I, the, I think it's more of an it's more of a where you are in your in your person. Okay. So you can deny it verbally if somebody you know, if somebody's going to kill your kid, but you're not really denying it. I hear what you. I mean, that kind of fits with what Peter. I mean, yeah, Peter yeah, repented yeah. too, right? So. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Um. <coughs> Excuse me, my voice is a little, I'm losing my voice. Um, well, I like the way it explains it in my concordance. It, it talks about it being a deliberate, willful, settled hostility mm. towards Christ. I like that language because that really, that really is very clear. Yeah. You know, somebody who's really 
who's aware mm -hmm. and is just clearly rebellious, not yeah. like a stupid mistake that you repent about afterward. Sure. Well, that's very good. Or a forced confession. Right. A forced recantation. Right. right. I'm still stuck on this idea of I don't. I can't see any woman denying the Lord and killing. No, no, no. I, or whatever. You, like, I remember. What we you can't, said. or I'll kill your kid. Yes, but I and you said I can't see any woman doing that. Well, I mean, I. I think <laughs> throughout history, you have seen men and women do that. Even today, I know in some articles I read about in the Sudan, where dads or whatever have to watch their children killed. And I think I was going to continue that. Say I couldn't see them being, you know, losing their salvation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, well, I, I, I like where Suzanne is going with it. I think that is the, the oh, you're welcome. Yeah, the, the, the <laughs> All right, now let's go on to verse 10. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. So that seems to imply uh, like a guy like Peter or mm -hmm. this lady whose son is going to be killed or something. Um, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be. So. Speak a word against the Son of Man. Perhaps in the context of things we're looking at, you know, this is the person that is about to be persecuted and, you know, against their better judgment, whatever it may be, they, uh, they do deny the Lord uh, in order to preserve their life or whatever it may be. Um, here, it seems to be pretty clear that the Lord is willing to receive that person back in, in a place of repentance, that he's merciful, that he's kind, that he doesn't hold grudges when we sin against him, um, when we're repentant, and so on. But then he mentions this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And it almost doesn't seem to fit our understanding of the gospel, because it seems like anything, anyone, can be forgiven. And yet not this one. And so all other sin can be forgiven, but this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit will not be. Now through the years... Um, I've met folks, and I've heard it certainly, but I've, I've actually met folks that are fearful that they have committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Um, and a statement that I heard from somebody somewhere was, look, if you're afraid that you've committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, you probably haven't <laughs> committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So, you guys, what, what is your understanding of this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? How do you keep yourself from doing it? Yes, ma'am. My understanding is that the Holy Spirit's the one to call you to receive Christ's forgiveness. And my understanding is that, you know, he calls you and, you know, other people have sown the seed and water and the Holy Spirit has called mm -hmm. you. And if you repeatedly say, I don't want that free gift and I refuse that free gift even on your deathbed that's that's the blasphemy that's the blasphemy mm. plus one no, plus a thousand I give I don't want you oh she gets a thousand she gets a, she gets a little thumbs up from me oh he likes that <laughs> so you're saying just to put it real quickly a person that dies having rejected Jesus mm -hmm. the work of the Holy Spirit is drawing people to Jesus yeah. uh, they, are, they have committed the blasphemy that's of the Holy Spirit my Okay. So I think the corollary question is, what's the only unforgivable sin? Okay. What's the only sin, well, what's the only sin by which people are going to hell? Well, it says in my book, 
is the unforgiven will sin means attributing to Satan the work that the Holy Spirit accomplishes. Thus it is deliberate and ongoing rejection of the Holy Spirit's work and, and even of God himself. The, a person who has committed this sin has shut himself or herself off from God so thoroughly that she is unaware of any sin of a, at all. A person who fears that who fears having committed it shows by his or her very concern that she has not sinned this way. Yeah, okay. So similar things then, restated. That's, isn't that like when, um, the, when the Pharisees try to do a, accuse uh, Jesus of uh, driving out the demon, demon and he, he said, and he said that the said, why would, would I, how can Satan drive out Satan? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep, so he's going back to that. So I'd say the testimony of the Holy Spirit is to testify that Jesus is Christ is the Savior. Mm -hmm. And if you say, no, he's not, or you reject that, kind of like what you're saying, you're basically telling the Holy Spirit that he's a liar. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> okay. Suzanne, what did you want to say? Well... I can't find it. I can't remember the address either in the Bible, but there's a list of like six or eight things in Revelation, and one, you know, one of them is idolatry. One of them is uh, fear. There's there's several things that they say that will completely like you're done. You're not going to heaven. Is Mark seven has it too? <clears throat> I can't remember the. My head is all fuzzy, but. Um, but those are the things that will keep you. You say something will not inherit the kingdom of God, neither will the new, neither will neither will. Yeah, they actually, there's actually a there's like a list of six or eight things, and I, I don't remember what it is. So I just really thought maybe somebody else would remember it. Can't really be true though, because we know people that were liars and murderers and fill all over. Yeah. What they all is usually <laughs> in. Well, like, it's not something I made like up. It's in the book. <laughs> well, I mean, it's got to be in context. It's a, it so. It says like this, you Blasphemous. know. People who have done this will not enter. All right, but in, have you lied? And no, but it's not. One of the things on the list is not lying. Okay, so that's what I'm saying. Find it's, the list. <laughs> yeah, that's I right. think Paul's point. Or if I had my Mark seven, <laughs> Mark seven twenty one. This is what Jesus said. Okay, I don't think. But I think what both Mark and Baron are pointing out is that even some of those things on that list, I would think do go on to be forgiven. But if you die in that state. Right. Of not having right. That's yet. what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. That's what it says. If you so, what is it? Mark 17. What? One. I don't have a Mark 17. Mark 721. <laughs> it's a special Bible. Bible. Doesn't have a Mark 17. <laughs> First right. Corinthians 6 20, 10 also has it. These are things that defile me. Mine for 12 10 <clears throat> says Mark 3 28 29. Yeah, that's Se not the list. thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit. Promiscuity, stinginess, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. First Corinthians six: Nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Nor homosexuals, adulterers, idolaters, sexual immoral. Da da da. Yeah. It's basically everybody. Everybody. <laughs> okay. Now, well, let, let's go this way then. Uh, in trying to figure out this idea of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, uh, and I think we already got our answer. You guys did a good job. Um, what is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Well, this is John 16, 8. It says this. 
When he comes, that's the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So his job is to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Kind of what Ruth is pointing out. Jesus also taught, John 15, 26, he said, When the Helper comes, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I will send from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So he's convicting the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. So now people are like, man, I'm a sinner. I'm unrighteous. I'm going to be judged. And then he, the Helper will come alongside and bear witness about Jesus. Yes, you are a sinner who is unrighteous and will be judged, but there's a Savior who will come and cleanse. And then, as Mark was pointing out, but then you say, that ain't true. Well, now you've called the Holy Spirit a liar. You've mm -hmm. called God a liar. And that, I believe, is simply what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. Mm -hmm. When we reject the message that Jesus will save us, we're calling God's Holy Spirit to be a liar. And, and that is an unpardonable sin. And it's got to be ultimate, though, too. Yes. Because we have Absolutely. times That's before we're point. saved, we, we're saying, no, 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 no. And then God says, yes. At, at the time of our death, if we're still there. Yeah. Right. Jesus said, uh, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. And then he said, also, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. So the idea being is, what have you done with Jesus? And, and I, just, I do want to add here this last thing that Jim was just pointing out is, well, how do we know if, you know, our friend, I'm sharing with my friend Sharon, he keeps rejecting... How do I know if he's committed to blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? The answer is we don't. Mm -hmm. And so we just continue to minister and continue to minister. Is there a place in a person's life here on the earth where they have gone to the place and they can never return, <coughs> so to speak? Mm -hmm. uh, what I mean by that is in their mind they've made that decision in their heart. They said, I'm done with Jesus, mm -hmm. and they can never come back. I don't know if there is that place. And because I don't know, I'm going to keep sharing and keep sharing and keep sharing. No matter how hard mm -hmm. they may seem to be, I'm going to keep casting out the net, hoping that they will repent. <coughs> the, the second thief on the cross got pretty darn close. Yeah. The second one? Because they were both said they were both hurling insults at him, and then at one point he says, "Yeah." He repents and says, "Jesus, have mercy on me." Yeah. So he was pretty close to. Oh right, 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 <laughs> right under the wire. Yeah. <laughs> under the wire. Yeah. All right. So hopefully none of you here feel as if you've committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Um, <coughs> But if you're worried about it, repent. <laughs> Let the Lord uh, minister His grace to you. All right, well, verse 12 of the passage says, And the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour. Now, again, the idea is I'm dragged before um, people. i got to say, you know, what do you believe and why do you believe it? And, and all this stuff. Well, some have actually taken this verse hmm. and applied it to preachers and things like that and said, you know what, I don't really believe in preparing. I don't believe in studying, I don't believe in writing out a message, you know, having a note card or anything. I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit lead me. The Holy Spirit will teach me in that very hour what I should preach. I remember talking to a student who uh, went to church and things with his parents, and he said, you know what I don't like about church? Or whatever, and they're like, what don't you like about church? Uh, and he said, I, you know, I just don't understand all these preachers that don't rely on God but, you know, they put out their message title a week earlier, up on the marquee. Well, how do they know what God's going to tell them to say on that particular morning? And, and I was like, oh, that's nice. You know, and I, <laughs> I get, take out your history book. You know, <laughs> but this isn't a passage that basically says, wing it and mm -hmm. let God take over. Now, believe me, I do believe there are times where 
you know, I, I do go astray from my notes and stuff like that on Sunday. That usually adds five or ten extra minutes to the message. <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> but, you know, there are times where it just seems like the Holy Spirit is leading in that direction. You can probably tell if there's not a verse to go up on the screen. That's why, because I just feel like the Lord's leading in a particular different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do take, I take a lot of time to study and read and type out and uh, prepare notes and things like that. And I believe the Lord works in that. So this isn't a passage here that is designed for us to essentially be lazy, or it's not an argument uh, to not uh, prepare in things like this. But the idea is this. It's not to trust in that preparation or in your eloquence or in all these other things, but to allow the Lord to work through you. There has to be a level of preparedness, though. Uh, John fourteen twenty six. Jesus said one of the other ministries of the Holy Spirit is he'll bring all these things to remembrance. Mm. Well, if he's going to bring these things to remembrance, and there must have been a period where you were learning some of these things. And, and you know, sometimes you hear people say, I didn't even know I knew that. Yeah. But there was a Bible study. You sat in somewhere else, or a time you had a quiet time and you read, and he's bringing those things into remembrance. So uh, we need to have some form of a knowledge. We need to be diligent in our times of ease so that the Lord, so that we'll be prepared in the times of challenges. You know, and, so, and I think that's simply what is being uh, pointed to here. I don't know if we'll ever be dragged in front of uh, authorities to defend our faith, um, but there are plenty of opportunities where we have to share our faith and be bold for our faith. And if we're walking with the Spirit and we're in a good place with Him, He's going to do a great work in us, and He's going to use us, and He's going to give us things to speak. You're like, I didn't remember learning that. Or, I do remember learning that. That was... Many, many years ago, I remember sitting there learning that, and we'll share it. Any thoughts on some of those things? I just think that's really cool that he's, if we're, you know, when we get in a tight spot, he's there mm-hmm. to help. Yeah. Well, particularly for witness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are situations where uh, people probably couldn't think of anything to say. And I, don't, I think if you're walking in the Spirit or, you know, relating with God, it's not necessarily you're guilty of anything it's just maybe you weren't meant to say anything possibly mm-hmm. I think as long as you're relating with God that's a good way to look at it yeah I think so well I don't think Paul prepared his defense we're doing acts in our home fellowship he defended himself several times between a king a couple kings and a governors and whatever and like I don't think he's, he didn't have time beforehand to sit down and figure out what his defense was going to be. You know, he's a word of learned a man, sure. very studied, whatever. But he got up there, and it was probably clear that the Holy Spirit was bringing things to mind. And Peter, Peter, when he got up in front of the Sanhedrin, or in Pentecost even, mm-hmm. preached and 5,000 people got saved. Now, again, that wasn't persecution. That was... That was him evangelizing. Not, Paul sure. was in a persecution situation. Mm-hmm. And Stephen, oh, there's another one, yeah. There's another one, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, that's a good one. Yeah. You learn, they're all pretty good. You actually <laughs> learn some stuff about the Old Testament that is not necessarily written yeah. in the Old Testament. Absolutely. Sure. I also believe that um, when you when you when you're preparing, um, it's not really about you actually doing it. If you're really being led by the Spirit, it's actually the Spirit preparing you or teaching you, showing you things and. You know, and stuff like that. So whatever you're writing, is like the Holy Spirit inspire inspire you to do to write that. So having you know, 
you know, you know, your lesson being outlined out there and actually following it. I believe that's also a, can be a leading of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit is actually, you know, leading you into into that. So it's 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 not really about you really preparing it. Yes, um, but there has to be a diligent on the diligence on the part of the teacher or whatever. Yeah. You know, I mean, and I I study at home. And I look out the window, I'm like, I should go weed this, or weeds, you know what I mean? And, and it's, it's challenging in that regard. And so we do have to plug in and, and prayerfully plug in because it, there's, a, there's a bad habit or just sort of like pick it up and all right, let's go, you know, and start my study kind of thing. Well, where's the prayer aspect of it, you know, and, and Lord, direct me and guide me and, you know, and all that. And, and I do what I, my general studying is I do uh, a lot of reading. You know, the first part of the week, if you will, and I just sort of take in a lot of stuff. And then when I sit down, I just start praying, obviously, and, and writing through that process. Uh, trying And just sort of remembering things that the Lord was teaching me. And occasionally, you know, you have to go back and you're like, what was that quote again? And, and so I highlight stuff and I look at the quote and, and it reminds me in that regard. But I just try to sort of get it in and then let it come out, mm. if that makes sense. Mm. Um, so, uh, and I, I think that's what the Lord wants for us. I don't think that's uh, not it's relying on ourselves. Huh? Yeah. It's working it's for us. <laughs> we weren't prepared in the Word. It would be, and and we were only relying on the Spirit to guide us, mm -hmm. whether, whether it's in you know testimony or whatever. Um, we'd be setting ourselves up to be deceived, I think. Because mm -hmm. I think yeah, we, if we're not prepared and we don't know the Word and we're feeling something from the Spirit, I mean, I think we could be deceived by something that's not the Holy Spirit. Mm. And, you know, if something is, if, if you're being fed something and it doesn't jive with what you know to be in the Word, yeah. then it's mm. probably not the Holy Spirit that's yeah. giving you that, it's mm -hmm. some other spirit. Yeah. And that's part of our strategy to, if you will, equip the saints here, is because there are so many lies mm -hmm. that are outside of here that are coming. And how do we keep up with every one of those lives? Well, we really can't, you know what I mean? Like there are some big ones, you know, and uh, this and that, but how do we keep up with all of those? Well, we keep up with it by teaching the truth so that we recognize the lie. Mm -hmm. you know, so I think you bring up a good point <coughs> in that regard. Okay, all right. Let's go on to verse 13. Uh, I'll read up to through 21. It said, now someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, Tell my brother to divide, to divide the inheritance with me. So here's Jesus. He's doing all this teaching, and this guy has an agenda here. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to him, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life uh, does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told him a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, Well, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, <laughs> you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, the... 
sort of the context of this seems kind of peculiar. Like, here's Jesus, you know, a Bible teacher, if you will, and a guy's coming up and saying, make him, you know, like this sort of thing. But uh, as a respected teacher and an increasingly respected teacher, Jesus would have been seen as sort of an authority in that community uh, just by simply coming in and the crowds <laughs> gathering around him. So uh, as such, his words could be pointed to as an authority. And so here's this man. What he's trying to do is get Jesus on his side to tell his brother to do what he wants him to do. And, and well, the teacher said it, so now you got to do it here. So he comes to Jesus and he says, tell my brother to, the, to divide the inheritance with me. Not many of you are aware, in, are aware, in that culture, the custom was for the father to leave the inheritance, either a large portion, like a, an overwhelming percentage, to the oldest son and the rest to the uh, rest of the family, or to leave it all to the oldest son. And then it, the oldest son became now the patriarch of the family, who, just like the dad, his responsibility was to sort of care for all the rest and things like that, or to distribute the inheritance as he saw fit. And you would hope that the older son would be a good older son and he would divide it up fairly and all this sort of stuff. Um, it doesn't seem like that's happening in this particular instance here. And so, if you notice though, this man isn't asking Jesus, hey, could you do me a favor? You seem like a smart guy. Would you sit, hear us out, and give us your opinion as to what we should do? Rather, he's coming to Jesus and saying, I've already decided what I want you to tell him. Tell him these particular things. So Jesus' response in verse 14, he says, Who's made me a judge over you? Now it's important, Jesus isn't concerned about injustice. So let's say that dad did give the entire amount to this guy, and his job was to you know, share it amongst the kids, and the guy said, I ain't sharing anything with you. Dad's dead, and what's he going to do to me? Well, that's an injustice. Jesus isn't here talking about or that he isn't concerned about injustice, but he knows that there's something going on in this guy's heart that is of even, even more significance as to not having a portion of the inheritance. And what he sees in this man is what? Greed. Covetousness. Covetousness and greed. Yeah. And so Jesus knows that that is far more dangerous and needs to be addressed in the guy. So here's the guy coming, trying to get him in trouble. And now he's in trouble. <laughs> and Jesus turns it uh, back on him. So instead of Jesus doing as the man requested, he turns the man's attention to the very thing that he's accusing his brother of being, of being selfish, right? And keeping all this stuff for himself. And now he wants all that. So he's calling out the man's covetousness. Uh, let me read this. This man runs a risk of fighting for all that is his, getting it, and then suffering from materialism and greed and covetousness after having it. Uh, and that would have been far worse mm -hmm. along for him, right? Mm -hmm. So, what should the guy have done, would you say, the younger brother? What would have been best for his heart? The guy who went to Jesus? Yeah. Well, to ask... You know, just to ask him. Not tell Jesus. Right. This. Yeah, just okay. maybe, you know, ask to be a mediator if he wanted to be, have him involved. That would have been a certainly a much better approach, and I suspect Jesus would have <laughs> responded differently. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's say he never went to Jesus here. Or Trevor, what did you want to say? Um, um, but isn't this a good lesson for him, though? 
for the younger brother. The younger brother, knowing that maybe you have this covetousness over a period of time. And this is a grand, you know, to him, yeah, this is a good time where I can actually get something from my brother. And that's a bad thing for him because he has this covetous heart. And <coughs> knowing that Jesus actually highlight the covetousness of his heart, to me, for I look at it where it's a good thing that he actually said that because he would have actually have a covetous heart for maybe the remainder of his life. And we never know. Maybe this actual this conversation here actually changed him. Hopefully, uh, right? Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. I would think that would be Jesus' goal. Mm. It's a really tough spot to be in. <coughs> you see that your older brother has so much, um, and you feel like he's giving you nothing. I think uh, he can situation to deal with uh, maybe the discontent in his heart and realize that mm -hmm. that's not the only thing that will give him life, mm -hmm. a true life uh, mm -hmm. or meaning to his life that's a good answer mm -hmm. now that's really hard though isn't it mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote down a note here something to the effect of the best thing for his heart would have been to let go of the situation and allow God to work things out mm -hmm. And that's hard. Mm -hmm. I understand that. You know what I mean? Like you want to get even with that person. You say, oh, just I'll let the Lord kind of deal with it. And oftentimes, well, not all. I I think it always works itself out. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, certainly when we get to heaven, it's going to work itself out. And that person is in misery. You know, separated from God. But oftentimes here upon the earth, these things work themselves out. But it's typically not by tomorrow morning. You know, it's by five years down the road. Typically they do. And so. Is it a challenge for us to let our hearts let things go and say, you know, Lord, I'll trust you with this? No doubt. Absolutely. But there is a great peace in being able to let that go and let the Lord do what he's going to do. Sometimes it takes time for that peace to develop in our hearts. But I think that would have been the best thing for this guy is uh, to let it go and to let the Lord work the things out. There's a, there's a level of degree, though, here, right? So. If this was, like you said, that the older brother got everything and this guy had nothing to live on, that's a pretty extreme situation. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we ever face anything yeah. like that. I mean, <laughs> this is the exact situation that I had with my older sister. My, 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 my sister, other sister, and my older sister, she became the executor of the my parents' grand estate. <laughs> and so this whole, this kind of... There was we weren't being covetous, but we wanted to do the right thing because mm. our parents we wanted her to do the right thing. Yeah. But so it's it still had repercussions. It's still having repercussions, but we didn't need them. We didn't need the the division of the stuff to live on. Mm -hmm. This guy might. That guy. This yeah. guy might. So you think of the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus certainly didn't have, and it doesn't say where he mourned and complained about it. Hmm? But he trusted God and he died mm -hmm. without getting. Basic necessities, and then he gets rewarded in heaven. True. Yeah, but they say also, um, my parents are still with me, and I don't know how it's going to be divvied up between the us. But it's it's at the discretion of the pe person <coughs> who's going to who's going to heaven first. So how they're how they're going to have their their estate divided up, and um, 
and we don't know how how the uh, how this fellow was when he was when his dad was alive. Hmm. He, we don't know how he treated his father. He might have turned his back on him and not done yeah. anything. It depends on how on how you um, on how well you you take care of things, and if you could be one of these guys who didn't um, want to to help out around the house to help, or help his mo his ailing parents in their golden years uh, we don't don't know anything about that sure uh, my si my one sister uh, when the lord took her home she had no will and then uh, they had to um so so the uh, we went through the the house and cleaned it out and they, they gave a lot of the stuff stuff to um charity and we had some stuff got gotten into the uh, and uh, my brother had some groups and uh, father had some groups go by that they looked over the stuff and we got some some uh, th things like a little some something I forget exactly what and the others did too um, after after the Dispense, but uh, and, uh, the, um, for instance, when I go home, I I have uh, made made up for the upset. Everybody gets something. Uh, wish there were some more kids, but that's <coughs> a yeah. and some offspring of my siblings. But that's a, a discussion for another time. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it it would make sense if. Uh, that we all create a will or something like that. That would be a way to help your wishes. Uh, yeah, but you don't know when. Uh, but my sister didn't know. Yeah, yeah no, certainly. I mean, you know, a lot of times we think know. I got plenty of time. Plenty of time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Let's uh, looking on to verse fifteen. Jesus says, "Be on your guard against covetousness." And again, uh, here's a situation we see, and I think a lot of us have experienced it. We want to go to Jesus and tell him how to fix everybody else, you know, or we, we sit in a service and we're like, this is good stuff, for, and we write all the people's names who we're going to get a CD for or something. Um, but Jesus wants to deal with us first, uh, you know, take the, the plank out of your own eye, then you can see clearly. He wants to deal with us first, and so here, this guy comes to Jesus with a list of things he wants him to fix, and Jesus says, well, let's begin working on these things, those things I want to fix in you first, and so... He deals with it. And covetousness is a real struggle. You know when covetousness hits me? Is when I see on the news or something, and it, it just makes some kind of a statement like, today's Powerball is $420 million. <laughs> And I just think, what do I do with $420 yeah. million? You know what I mean? And, and just within a second, you start thinking of all the things, and, and I'm very spiritual. Yeah. You know, so a lot of it, would, I would give at least 5% of the church. <laughs> <laughs> at least, you know, or whatever. And so, you, you know, you get that out of the way, then you start ticking off the motorcycle and the this and the that's and, and so on. But covetousness is, is very real. And certainly in a society that has so much, and the people that are around us, it seems, have so much, and a society in which really debt is not a problem for a lot of people, and what I mean by that is, well, I don't have the money, but I'll just put it on my credit card or whatever, and I'll figure. And everybody has the latest gadgets or the newest car and these things. And we see that, and, you know, our car won't start. And uh, making some weird noise this last week. I don't know what's going on with that. You know, but let me read this to you. It said, this is in Colossians. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. 
sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, mm -hmm. which is idolatry. Now there's some question as to whether all of those are idolatry or covetousness is idolatry, but either way covetousness fits mm -hmm. there as being an idol in our lives, things we run after, I must have, I must have, I must have, and it steals our heart away. When our heart should be to the Lord, mm -hmm. it's running after these false mm -hmm. things. So covetousness is a real danger. So I'd encourage all of us here. We didn't come to Jesus. We didn't say, make my brother give this to me, or whatever it may be. But covetousness, nonetheless, is still something that is a danger for each of us. And then finally, Jesus says, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then I added, despite the fact that we oftentimes think it does. You know, and all the things that we're trying to accumulate. You know, this hit home for me when we were down in New Orleans uh, cleaning up after Hurricane Katrina. Uh, because you would go through, basically everything had to be thrown away. You know, homes sat covered in water for three weeks. You know, so everything is ruined. Uh, and China and things like that, that could be saved because it could be washed and stuff. But, um, and what really hit home for me is when we would go into the cabinets and you would start taking everything from way back in the back of the cabinets and it, it reminded me of all the things in my home that are shoved back in the yeah. back that I don't even really know I have them <laughs> anymore kind of stuff and they're just taken and tossed out on the front lawn mm -hmm. and how many possessions that we have and we gather and we accumulate and we fight for mm -hmm. that are really just garbage in the long run you know and so One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Mm -hmm. And then as Jesus always does, he, not always, but often does, he tells a story uh, to make his point. And so he says, uh, he tells them a parable. Beginning, he calls the man a fool. This guy's very wealthy. He's got uh, great possessions. He's going to build himself. He's got so much stuff he needs, a bigger barn and all this sort of stuff. And he calls the man a fool, whereas this man was probably great in the world's eyes, mm -hmm. wonderful guy, successful, has everything, uh, yet in light of eternity, he's referred to or he's called simply a fool. And why? What, what about this man is foolish? He can take grain Okay, so that actual decision may have been foolish? Perhaps, uh-huh. Why else do you think, or what else was he doing that was foolish? He planned for this life, but not for the next. Mm. Well, I guess he was, in some sense, was he hoarding? Right. Hoarding, you said? Yeah. Yes. So, they made a show I guess if you grew too much crop, wouldn't you normally just sell it, sell the excess? And, you know, why is he hoarding all the grain? I'm kind of like, I, I, I question that thing too. So, you spend the money to, you spend money to build a new barn to hold the crop, but, you know, why don't you just sell the crop and keep the money? You know, what, why is, is your current barn not big enough for you? Why is that? Okay. Was he a doomsday prepper? Could be. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else? I, it just seems like nothing, it, like it's not enough. Mm. Mm. Like he would, you know, I mean, we don't know, it's not in here, but it's almost like 
George Carlin used to have this piece where he would talk about how you have you have an apartment, you get all this stuff, and then you got to move to a bigger house, so you have more stuff, and you just keep moving so that it can accommodate <laughs> all your stuff. Mm. And it just seems like even it wouldn't be nothing would be enough for this guy, no matter yeah. how big his barn was. Yeah, that's well said. Anything else to say? He said, um, everything is over with I will. Mm. What, um, I will, I will, um, I will do this, I will pull down my barn, and I will say to my soul, you mm. have many, many goods laid up for many years, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry, but he doesn't realize that it's not him who is in control. Mm -hmm. You know, God is the one who is in control. Absolutely. Isn't that the same thing that, mm -hmm. that Satan did? I will have this. Like it, Satan said, I will, I will, I will. Yeah, I Isaiah 13. I <coughs> and he coveted yeah. what? The throne. Right, right. Okay, so uh, some of the foolish decisions, some practical things that we see here, he's not satisfied with what he has. He's doing all sorts of planning for the temporal, but not for beyond, for the eternal. Mm -hmm. Um and really, the temporal, material things here that he has on the earth, they have become his God. Mm -hmm. And again, as Trevor points out, it's my grain, it's mm -hmm. my barns, it's my goods, it's my soul. Mm -hmm. uh, and those statements, really, they, they tell us what's really going on in the guy's heart. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's in interesting, none of those things end up being his, do they? Right. Mm -hmm. You know, he dies and it's somebody else's grain now, mm -hmm. somebody else's nice new shiny barn. And it's not even really his soul right. to determine where it's going to go and what it's going to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this is a wake-up call for these people that are listening. And Jesus knows what he says. So is the one who lays up treasures for himself here on the earth and is not rich toward God. And again, the context is this man coming and saying, I want all that stuff. And he's hoarding it all for himself. And he says, well, that's the one who lays up treasures for himself here on earth is a mm -hmm. fool. Really, is what Jesus is saying. So let me ask you, because honestly, you say, well, you don't need that much money. You know, like someone on this side of the room, I have more money than someone on that side of the room. And we can look and say, well, why do you need that much money in your bank account? Whatever. Well, quite frankly, people all around the world could say that pretty much about any one of us, yeah. about the things we have and the stuff we have and the home we have and all that kind of stuff. Why do you need a house with three rooms? You know, and my whole family is in one with one, and we yeah. get by kind of thing. So, I, I don't think we really want to necessarily go down there. But let me ask you this question. What do you think this man could have done differently with, that would have caused him to be so-called rich toward God? And I think that's the, the way it's phrased there in the uh, book. So what do you think he could have done differently that would have caused him to be, if you will, rich toward God? Tithe. Tonight? Tithe. Tithe. He could have certain percent to uh, got for for the um, for the work of the ministry. Say here, here's ten percent, ten fifteen percent of my props. Uh, you could um, you do with this as as you will. Okay, so uh, given some away. He could fed the poor. He didn't. He wasn't. He didn't have a concept of stewardship with it. It was all. His, not that he was a steward mm. of the bounty that mm. God gave him. Mm -hmm. Okay. Could have created jobs. Right, yeah. 
<laughs> oh, he did. He built bar, new bars. But then he was oh. just drinking and being married. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Although he didn't actually get the, he didn't actually get to create build the barns because he died first, right? He said he was going to do this. I will. I will. I will. Uh, but he never got around. Right, yeah, 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 he, he never got around to doing it. He had an opportunity to to help people. Well, I wanted to read a couple of verses to, for, for you because each of them talk about having treasures in heaven. Uh, a little bit later on in the book, in this chapter, verse 33 of Luke 12, uh, there it says, Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide for yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Mm-hmm. And so talking about giving to the needy, as somebody mm-hmm. said, um, and storing up treasures in heaven. So touch a little bit about what a few of you guys just said. A little bit later, Luke 18. It said, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. So the guy that, what should I do to get to heaven? Mm-hmm. I've done all that, he said. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. First Timothy 6 says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So again, giving. Uh, Revelation chapter 3 says the same idea about sort of like a treasure in heaven, um, but for a different reason. It says this, for you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and I saw for your eyes uh, to anoint them. And, and there the idea of when we recognize our, that we are when we recognize that we need Jesus in everything, not self-confident in all these other things that he talked about here, but we realize we're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked, that's a way that we build up a treasure in heaven uh, as well. So, here this guy uh, has lost a focus in life um, or has turned a focus in life just on himself. Uh, and as a result, um, Jesus says that particular life is a foolish decision uh, to make. You know, often we fear poverty. Mm. I've been reading a lot in the scripture and just noticing that it's really not poverty that should be feared in the scripture. It's wealth that needs to be feared mm. uh, because something happens in our hearts uh, when we no longer need God. Um, so, this man, covetous man. Last question I want to ask you um, <laughs> this man's actions did not begin. Um, the problem didn't begin with this man's actions, but it began with his pattern of thinking. Mm-hmm. And then that carried into his particular action. Mm-hmm. So, what do, where do you think his pattern of thinking, somebody could have come along and said, you know what, there's an error here in your pattern of thinking, and saved him from this eternal misery. Now, this is a parable, certainly, but. So, where did his pattern of thinking go wrong? Well, it's going back to the I part. The attitude oh. of I, mm-hmm. I 
had to buy this all from myself, mm -hmm. and I'm in control of everything mm -hmm. that has to do with me. Mm. There's an attitude of I, yeah. as opposed to we. Mm. And it's all for me. It's all for me. It's all for me. I, I like somebody. I think over here, Suzanne talked about stewardship. You know, and thinking about our gifts and our talents and our resources and those things that the Lord has entrusted us mm -hmm. with those things to be used as his steward, his manager, if you will, here upon the earth. Mm -hmm. And that certainly changes when, when we look outside of ourselves. It's not just for me, it's for others. Mm -hmm. It changes how we deal with them. Yeah, thank God there are people who have more than the ones who have less because if we were all poor, how could we help somebody mm -hmm. who has less than us? Mm -hmm. yeah, even today we look at um, you know people in Hollywood and we're in that boat of you know they have so much more mm -hmm. I think you know when you're in your teens it's obviously uh, desirable but we all well know how miserable their lives are think of this fellow if you bless you, bless you. Bless you. think for this fellow if he saw the rich people in the world at any time it's it's so horrendous inside, you know, in, inside their soul. Uh, and that probably would have hopefully made him think a little bit. Well, it's not, but it's not just rich. It's not the essence of being rich, mm -hmm. although that is a trap. Yep. It's, the, it's the I, the my, the... Love of money. The love of money. The love yeah. of money. Yeah, that, so that passage there, it, it doesn't say money is the root of all evil, right. but the love the of love money. money. And there are very wealthy people that have a very good handle on money and what to do with it and how to do it. It doesn't have a grip over their hearts. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't want to you know, just say that rich people are bad or something like that. Uh, but I agree with Mark's last statement that it's a trap. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and it's a s seductive one, too. You, yeah. I mean, I have a lot more money now than I did when I was 20. You know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and I got by somehow when I was 20. And I didn't even realize, <laughs> just that little slippery slope, what money has done. Now, I bet if something happened, I lost it all, you know, in an evening or something like that, it would probably affect me. I'd probably be upset about that. You know, I like my comfort. I like my this. I like my that. Mm -hmm. So... Um, a similar situation with, with our Nebuchadnezzar when he recognized that, hey, you know, I, mm -hmm. I did all of this. And just in an instant, he was just insane. Mm -hmm. Because he didn't recognize that everything comes from God. Yeah. You know? Good. Well, I mean, well, if, if you truly believe that, that everything is God, that comes from God, we're stewards of what he's blessed us with. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you're living for eternity. What a freeing thing that is! Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I heard somebody on the radio. This was like back in '09 when they had the crash of the stock market, and this guy was talking on the radio, and he said he had an investment banker that came to him, and he was just like really upset. I mean, I don't know if he was suicidal or anything, mm -hmm. but he was just like, "Real, my life is ruined. I don't know what to do." And he said that he came. This guy on the radio said he came to me for advice, and he said, and, the, and I said to him. Are you prepared to lose it all? Mm -hmm. And he said, the guy said, thanks a lot. I really appreciate that. That's a real pick-me-up. Yeah, exactly. But he said, no, but really, he goes, the stuff that you have that you've been blessed with, if you realize that you could lose it all and you still be okay, it's a really freeing, yeah. you know, because it's stuff. It's stuff that 
you know, it's not yours. You know. Mm-hmm. Now it's hard to believe that. It's hard to <laughs> sure. <laughs> Why not? But if you do, it's mm-hmm. it's comforting. So. Mm-hmm. Paul who said, "I learned to be content with everything." I also like. The piece in here where it says, take your ease. He's telling himself, okay, now take it easy. <laughs> so he's not comfortable unless he has a ton of stuff. Yeah. A ton, you know, so that sort of leads me to think that maybe he was uneasy mm-hmm. prior to sure. him gathering all of this. Mm. Like he has to measure up to something? Maybe, yeah, or just, you know, just that greed. I mean, mm-hmm. to be you know, to be able to, like Jim was saying, be able to function and trust. Like the, there's a reference passage in, in my book back to Matthew 6.26 where Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. That no, They don't worry about where they're going to get anything. And um, I mean, I've had no money and I've had lots of money. And um, if I jumped off a roof every time, you know, something happened well, I and I lost sure. something, sure. I'd be in big trouble. So um, it's just... I mean, I don't know, uh, just the last couple of years, I don't know how I would have done it without Jesus, because yeah. you can't make stuff, you can't, you cannot do this, you can't, mm. I can't do it by myself. Mm. <coughs> I think the testimony of a lot of rich people, even good, good intentioned ones, would also say that relaxed aspect never really happens. Right. Because he may think Because then they worry about losing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then you're, yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say blessed is the... Unless it is the workman or that doesn't have a lot of stuff because he sleeps at ease. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Cursed is the rich man because he's worried about his the thief sure. coming in. Something like that. You know, I was thinking when she said, you know, take, now be at ease, mm. you know, it seemed to me, here's a workaholic working and working yeah. and working and mm. working and working and finally is at ease and then dies. Mm. You know, and you do mm. see that example. Mm-hmm. You know, but he's finally going to have that great retirement and you know, yeah, it's very much there, like the retirement you know, mentality. Yeah. You know, and somebody said, you know, we, we keep trying to climb the ladder, climb the ladder, we get to the top and realize this isn't the wall I wanted to be on yeah. to begin with, you know, it's there. But, so. mm-hmm. I, I think I saw one other hand. Really yeah. quick, uh, if you should really look at this also, that's not how God designs us, though. We cannot be filled with possessions of, you know, material things. Mm-hmm. Does, well, we are not designed like that. We are designed to be filled with God. Mm-hmm. You know, so no matter how much we have, money, whatever you want to call it, we just cannot be filled. Mm-hmm. No matter who we are, Amen. without God. Mm-hmm. Life does not consist in the abundance right. of his possessions. Amen. Let's uh, pray. Father, we thank you for these truths, Lord. And uh, Lord, it's good for us to hear and be reminded of. And Lord, even to take inventory and stock of our lives and our, the condition of our heart. And so, Father, we ask that you would keep on teaching uh, and speaking to our hearts even as we go. But I thank you for uh, the gift of these saints and the blessing, Lord, of being able to uh, communicate together the things of the Word and to hear from you and learn from you. Mm-hmm. So bless uh, us as we go, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.